0: Welcome to the Hope Sports Podcast, where we believe the best way for you to unlock your full potential is by living into your purpose. We believe discovering your purpose is the only way for you to live a meaningful life. I'm your host, Olympic gold medalist, Laura Wilkinson. And each week I have the privilege of connecting with a different elite athlete to discuss how they win big in and out of their sport. We want you to compete better and live into your purpose. So stick around to hear about an amazing opportunity that we have for you. But first, let's talk about today's episode. This week, we're joined by Olympic marathon runner, Ryan Hall, and it was such a treat to connect with him on the show. You'll hear about his incredible accomplishments throughout his career and his mountaintop experiences as an athlete. But what I hope you really take away is how he overcame seasons of immense struggle in his life. He has so much wisdom to share with each of us as we run our own race, and his message is so encouraging. So let's go ahead and dive on in. Ryan Hall, thank you so much for coming on the Hope Sports Podcast today.
1: My pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: Now, okay, for those listening that may not know your background, can you kind of take us through how you got into sports in the first place and how that led you to running?
1: Yeah, so my dream growing up is to play professional baseball. Um, the problem was I was uh, you know going into high school like 100 pounds and 5 foot tall, so <laughs> that's not the ideal frame, it turns out, for baseball. Um, so, you know, like I was really training really hard. I remember I would throw, uh, pitches against a backstop. My dad had built for me in our backyard for hours and hours and I'd pretend like I was like winning the mate the world series or whatnot, you know, like, so like I had the dream, I had the drive, but I just didn't have like the physical makeup to make that a reality, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was grateful that like, I learned that at a really young age, because if I would have kept going down that road I probably, it would have felt like I was hitting my head against the wall for a long time, you know, because that's just like not how God designed me. So uh, it happened one day when I was going down to a basketball game and I never played. I always sat on the bench in basketball. <laughs> I was, was going to have to get on the team, but that was about it. And uh, I remember looking out at a lake in my hometown, Big Bear Lake in Southern California. And I uh, just feeling like I just kind of planted this little seed of a desire to try and run around the lake, which uh, it's 15 miles around the lake. So it's a big first that's run. I wouldn't recommend lake. that for a first time runner. It's not a good starting point usually. <laughs> <laughs> um, But like, that's just kind of who I am. It's like, I'm a dreamer. I love dreaming big dreams. But I felt like this one was like, there's something different about this stream because I hated to run. Like I didn't like it at all. Like every time like I was in PE class and kids, you know, they have to run the mile, like I'd be just like all my classmates, be like, no, I don't want to run the mile today, you know. <laughs> but then I'd go and I'd run hard and I'd run well, you know. Um, uh, but I didn't it wasn't my passion, you know, I didn't enjoy it. Um so there's hope to any listeners out there that maybe think you're not ever going to get into running because you hate it that can change I can change it changed for me that day um so you know I I went out and I ran the 15 miles around the lake with my dad um the following Saturday and
0: wait so there was like there was no preparation for this you just went out and ran it with him
1: yeah 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 so I got home from the basketball game I told my dad what I wanted to do and then the next weekend we went out and did it and uh it was a long, slow, painful effort, and I felt like I was out there for days and days, like it wasn't <laughs> just like like I just went out and just breezed through it. no problem, you know it wasn't that way at all. it was like really, really challenging, so and I came home and I collapsed in the couch and super tired, super fatigued, and yeah, I felt like I was kind of telling me like he'd give me a gift to run with the best guys in the world, but he gave me that gift so I could help other people, and uh I think that's uh, that was the launching point in my entire career, you know? And I knew what it meant to run with the best guys in the world. Like I'd seen the Olympics. So like right off the bat, like I was like, that's where I'm going. You know, like always had that belief from that, that moment when I was 13. Um, but I didn't understand how you can help other people through running. And that would happen, you know, kind of down the line, actually right, right after the Beijing Olympics. when I learned how powerful and impactful sports can be to uh, change people's lives on the other side of the globe from us.
0: Oh, I love that. I, I do have to ask though, is your dad a runner? (laughs)
1: <laughs> he was yeah yeah and he still is he's actually like the only one who's still running in our family we like all ran and like all the all the kids stopped and he's still going so um,
0: <laughs> that's awesome yeah
1: i think that run took a lot of patience on his end because he was fit like running marathons and so he probably felt like we were out for a, a walk a long long walk
0: yeah <laughs> uh, we'll just call it father-son bonding right that's yeah good.
1: <laughs> yeah exactly
0: Awesome. Well, so you ran through high school then and it led you to Stanford. Like what made you decide to go to Stanford?
1: Yeah, it's like, I feel like God does this to me all the time. because So the one school I'd ruled out as like, I'm not going to Stanford. Um, at the time, they were like the running powerhouse school. And like, it's like the trendy place to go. And like, I have never been one of those people who likes to follow trends, you know? So, like, I, it was, like, all pride, you know? Like, all my pride was, like, I'm not going there. Everyone goes there. And then there was also, like, the academic piece because, um, you know, I got good grades in high school, but I took very basic level classes. Like, I didn't take, like, honors or AP stuff in high school. So, I wasn't prepared for the academics at Stanford at all. So, um, I knew that was going to be a stretch for me if I if I ended up going there. Um, but then one of my friends drew Ryan. He introduced me to the coach. We were up there at a cross country meet during my senior year in high school. And, um, and the coach was like, Hey, we should just go around and I'll show you the campus and stuff. And I talked to him. I really liked the coach. And, um, and then I, I did go on like four more recruiting trips to different schools. And but ultimately, um, I remember I was sitting in the church at Stanford. Have you been in the church? At I the- haven't. Oh, it's amazing. In the quad, there's this like beautiful, beautiful church, like something that you'd see in like Italy or something. Um, and I remember I was sitting in there and I was trying to decide where to go to school and I was praying. And again, I felt like kind of the prompting of God to, to go to Stanford. And, um, again, like it was not an easy road at Stanford. Like I struggled hard, like, in, in every aspect of life. Um, the only thing that was like really stable for me during my four years at Stanford was my relationship with Sarah, who's not my wife, but we we dated all throughout, uh, my time at Stanford and her time at Stanford. And without that, like literally like nothing would have been going well for a long, long time. Cause academically, like my teachers were very very concerned that even like make it through um so so far behind everyone else and then you're trying to just juggle so much as a student athlete and at stanford they don't cut you any breaks you know we're in the same classes the same expectations like we're not getting any special treatment so um it was it was a real struggle and then there's like all these injuries that came and um you know up into that point like early on in my career at stanford like my whole identity was kind of wrapped around how I performed. And so when I looked in the mirror, like that's what it was all about. And it worked out when I was in high school because I was performing at a really high level, you know, like set a state record in the 1600 my senior year and had a, a very good high school career. But then when things started going downhill, that just totally its like someone took the rug out from under me because Um, now when I looked in the mirror, I didn't like who I saw because I wasn't performing well on the track. So, um, that was a huge shift that happened. Actually, I got really depressed during my sophomore year at Stanford, left school. I thought that I could change what was going on the inside of me by changing my external, um, situation and circumstances. So I went home back to big bear uh, for winter quarter of my sophomore year. I didn't know if I was going to come back. Um, I didn't know what I was going to do, but I knew I had to like sort stuff out inside me because I could just feel this like real heaviness. Um, and, and this real kind of like lack of love for myself, you know? Mm. So I ended up choosing to go back to Stanford and just spend a lot of time with God and, and really like learning to see myself, how he sees me. And as I kind of was able to adopt that view was super powerful and like getting away from that performance burden that I've been carrying around my whole life really. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and sports kind of started to become fun again because I was okay with failing and messing up and getting it wrong, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, it wasn't an instant change, you know, it's not like I went back and got all this figured out in like a week. And then a week later it was running fast. Like it was a long, slow, gradual shift that kind of happened and started from the inside. And then it slowly started to come out externally and um, then I started performing better and better in cross country and track and, um, you know, was able to sign a, a contract with ASICS coming out of college and uh, run professionally for 10 years and go to a couple Olympic games and have some pretty cool experiences. But, you know, it was it was a tough, tough road getting there. And I learned and grew so much through it all.
0: I love that. Well, I love that you said it wasn't just an overnight thing. Like that stuff does take time, and a lot of times we just get frustrated. and We try to run away. Just, I mean, just like what you were saying, I, it just resonates so much with me and athletes that I know. Um, and yeah, and I love that you just you stuck with it and you knew it, the change was coming because it, it, it had to. You had to start from the inside to make any kind of difference. That's yeah, that's awesome. And and your wife Sarah, who was your girlfriend at the time, was your stability, I guess, through college. Yeah. So what what was it like, kind of? Um, you know i mean you're dating her then you get married and you guys are both runners you know is that a good thing or is there some conflict <laughs> there i mean what is that dynamic like
1: i i definitely think it's a good thing you know like cuz the runner like to be a professional runner it's not just like a sport or hobby it's like an entire lifestyle so if you're married to someone who's not willing to allow you to live that lifestyle like your running wouldn't work at all like you'd have to like stop running to make that work you know mm-hmm. or you just have to sacrifice and not, like, develop your talent to the full level in the running realm. Mm
0: -hmm. Uh,
1: But for Sarah and I, it's nice because we were both going after the same thing, same lifestyle. I mean, like, the lifestyle I'm talking about is, like, you're constantly, like, eating healthy, um, sleeping a ton, going to Mm -hmm. bed at, like, 8.30 at night, getting up at 7.00. Yeah, taking afternoon naps and stuff. Like, so... It was it was a blessing for us because we got to spend so much time together. Because we're both literally like just out training and then at home together. So um, it was really cool um, season of life. And even now, still like I'm retired, but um, my lifestyle hasn't shifted a, a whole lot. You know, I don't take as naps in the afternoon or sleep as much anymore. But um, we're still together all the time. And I, I coach her. So um, okay, I'm cool. even out there when she's running. Only I'm on a bike now. so <laughs> <It's> only <laughs> I can be alongside her.
0: Nice change of pace there. That's cool. Yeah. Well, in 2007, you won the Houston half marathon in a time of 59 minutes and 43 seconds, the first American to break the one hour mark for a half marathon. And you still hold the American record for the fastest half marathon. Was that was that the event? that you have a record. Mm -hmm. That's so cool. So what was that race like?
1: Yeah, that was, you know, telling the story of like running with the best guys in the world. That was kind of the first time that that was an actual reality. You know, I had competed at the world championships in track. And uh, competed in Europe on the track, but I was never really in the race. Like I can remember running 5Ks against the best guys in the world, and I'm like watching on the jumbotrons as they're finishing, and I'm like on the other side of the track, you know. So <laughs> it's like this isn't really running with the best guys in the world. I may be in the same race, but <laughs> I'm not really in the same race. You know? um, but as I moved up to the longer stuff, things just really started to click. And um, so yeah, at the time when I ran that time, 59:43, that was uh, one of the top 10 times like ever run for that distance so like now it's more commonplace you see a lot of guys under an hour Um, but at the time that was kind of rare territory so um that was kind of the moment where it's like whoa like like now, like it's like you have the vision for a long time. You're kind of chasing the vision and then you have that moment where you realize it and you're in it and you're kind of like at the top of the mountain. That mm-hmm. was a uh, kind of the experience there, but it was, it was the same as, you know, what you hear most athletes talk about their greatest performances. It was, it felt really easy, you know. It felt like I could have done another one afterwards. And you finish the race, and you're like, "Oh, I can definitely run faster than that." And then, you know, I never even got within a minute of that time after that. So, oh, wow. <laughs> um, yeah, that's why, as an athlete, like when you have those mountaintop experiences. And with athletes I'm working with now, I just tell them, like, guys, like, soak it in Mm because you may think you're going to run faster and you might. I hope you do. You know, I hope I'm wrong. But even if you don't, like, let's make sure we enjoy this moment for what it is because we don't know. We don't know what the future holds, you know?
0: Mm Exactly. Exactly. Well, and just a couple months after that, in April, you placed seventh in the London Marathon, and it was your first ever marathon in two oh eight, and the fastest debut marathon by an American. I mean, that's that's pretty insane. Had you been planning on doing marathons for a while? Like, what made you kind of graduate to these longer distances? Yeah.
1: So it's actually the experience I was telling you about, about being on the track in Europe and watching the guys finish. Um, it was, that was the moment where, you know, for a while as an athlete, you're kind of developing, you don't even really know where your gifts and talents really truly are, you know, especially in the running realm, you don't know how fast your foot speed is. And that kind of dictates a lot with elite distance running. Um, But it was at that time where I realized like 5k, like I'm just not going to be competitive. So I need to be humble enough to move up, even though I didn't necessarily want to. And then, like I said, as soon as I moved up, like things just really, really clicked. And so I was actually training for my first marathon. Uh, when I ran 59 minutes in the half marathon, so I just changed my my training up and was running more than I'd ever run before, doing longer, harder workouts, and that's kind of when things really, really clicked in my body and um, took off. And I was planning on running the Los Angeles Marathon. Actually, it was going to be my first one, and then Houston happened, and then the doors kind of opened for me to get to go to London. That was such a cool experience because you know I got to race against guys like Haile Gebrselassie, Paul Turgott. You know, these are guys who were the greatest runners of all time in that era and uh it was just really surreal to be running next to them at mile 14 going across um tower bridge you know with all all my heroes of running and stuff is kind of another one of those moments where you're like this is what what i pictured you know when i was 13 on that couch
0: That's so cool. It's so epic. I love it. You paint such a good picture of that. Well, that same year in November, you won the U S Olympic team trials in the marathon in two Oh nine. I mean, (laughs) that's pretty insane. You just started running marathons that year and you made the Olympic team. I mean, what, what was that like? Were you planning on, I mean, I know you said you wanted to run against the best guys in the world. Was the Olympics always part of that dream or did that just kind of come up as you ran these longer distances?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was part of the dream, you know, and they didn't, they still don't have a half marathon in the Olympics. So if you're going to run longer than 10 K it has to be the marathon distance.
0: So what, what was it like at the Olympics? I mean, was it <laughs> everything you dreamed of? Was it totally just, were you kind of in shock or in awe? Like what was, and what was your race like? Was it, what is, was it what you expected or what you hoped for?
1: Yeah. You know, it's, t- it, it lived up to its expectations in many ways. um, Like the hype, being in the village, like, you know, I'd watch Cool Runnings a million times or whatever. I love that like,
0: movie. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's so good. And like, you're always like wondering, like, was it actually like Olympic Village and stuff, you know? And like that part of the experience was like, it was just, and I remember like walking out of the closing ceremonies next to Yao Ming, you know? He's like super tall and we're in China. And so like all the people are just going crazy on him and stuff. Um so there there was moments like that where I was like, wow, this is like really, really amazing experience and like I feel so honored to get to be here. Um but then in terms of, you know, what I dreamed of as a kid, I always I I didn't necessarily have to win the gold medal or even podium, but I just really wanted to have my best stuff on that day, you know, like Mm -hmm. be at the best version of myself, be as fit as I'd ever been. Like, like have my Houston day, but at the Olympic games, like that's, that's what I wanted the most, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but what I've learned with sports is sometimes like no matter how much you want it, no matter how well you prepare, no matter how good of a coach you have, you have everything in place like sometimes things just don't click and like, I don't, I haven't figured it out completely, you know, like, Mm -hmm. but I've certainly just experienced that where it's like, I didn't change anything up. I'm the same person. I'm training the same way. I'm eating the same way. I'm sleeping, doing everything the same and having two very different results, you know, like one Mm -hmm. just effortlessly floating through a race, um, six months before that. And then six months later, I'm like, just struggling in my fitness. So so that was kind of my story leading up to the race. My fitness wasn't quite as good as I wanted it to be. Training had been rocky, kind of up and down um and just been kind of kind of struggling, you know. Mm-hmm. Um so on the starting line I was nervous but I still had like the outside hope of trying to to grab a medal you know like Mm -hmm. I had just run the London Marathon again for my second time ran personal best ran 206 and finished fifth and uh so you know those are the the best guys in the world We all go to London so I was like if I was fifth in London you know maybe I could pick up a couple more spots and grab a medal in Beijing um but that it wasn't my 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 experience unfortunately, you know, I wasn't at my best at Olympics, but that was such a great experience for me to get to grow through. so I remember doing a, a warm up run uh the day before a marathon. we always just jog like thirty minutes, do some drills and strides, and uh during that time, I like to sometimes do it by myself and um, just have a little conversation with God and be like, what do you have for today? You know, like, or for tomorrow, like, what do you want to tell me? And, you know, I was always like hoping He was going to give me some like verse about David and Goliath or something like that, you know, or soaring on, uh, wings of eagles and, you know, effortlessly flying through the race. But uh, he actually reminded me of this story during that moment of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego which, uh, you know, they were the guys who were being thrown into a fiery furnace and, uh, the king, because they wouldn't worship the king's idols, uh, Nebuchadnezzar's idols. And this is you know way back in the day. And I just love their response to the king. They're like, even if God doesn't show up, we're not going to bow down and worship you. And I think that was really like the word God had for me for my race. The following day was like, you need to set your heart in such a way to where even if you don't perform how you hope dreams, planned it out, drew it up in your head, it's not going to change your heart towards me, or even like my heart towards myself, you know, mm-hmm. like, finding that I'm still of worth, I'm still a value, even if I don't have my best performance on the day when I want it more than anything else, you know, mm-hmm. it's like th- if I could order it on one day, it'd be today. But how am I going to respond if, if that's not the case, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so it really, really helped me uh, during that race. Another thing that helped me because I found myself about halfway into the Olympic marathon back way, way back. So it went out really fast, even though it was super hot and humid in Beijing. And I was back in like 30th or 60th. I don't remember what place I was in, but I was way, way back. And I was kind of pouting to myself. you know, I was like, what's going on? I'm so frustrated. How come I'm so far back? You know, these are the thoughts that are going through my head. And again, I felt like I was just kind of telling me like, I want you to start encouraging people around you, which is really odd because in our sport, that you, that doesn't happen. You know, mm-hmm. usually guys aren't cheering for each other when they're running, um, which is fine. You know, I get it. But so I, I just, so I started to do that. I started just, I would catch a guy and just be like, hey, good job, man. You're doing great. Let's work together and try and catch some a group in front of us. Or I'd just say a couple words, you know, just trying to encourage them a little bit. But again, it was like getting to my heart and it was making me get outside of myself and think about other people and trying to help and encourage other people. And as I did that and I stepped out in that, I found that I started to get encouraged. I started to feel better about my situation. I think it was because whenever you're internal and you're in a lot of pain and suffering like you are in a marathon it the more internal you are the more you're aware of all this pain you know like if i'm thinking about other people other things i'm outside myself then things i'm able to push harder cuz so i'm not as aware of the pain cuz i found like whatever you focus on it's going to increase or at least the sensation is going to increase Um, so it just really allowed me to get outside myself and and start encouraging some other people. And then I started to work my way up and, um, ended up finishing in tenth position, which still, you know, it wasn't what I hoped for, but, um, it was the best that I could do on that day. And, you know, I'm still like very proud of that performance, even though, um, you know, it wasn't everything that I dreamed of.
0: Uh, I totally get that. We had a, a guest on one of our first episodes. He's a performance scientist, Dr. Ben Holtberg. And he talks about purpose based identity and performance uh, versus performance based identity. And and just like what you were saying, just having that purpose beyond yourself makes such a big difference, um, you know, for the people around you, but also for you. That's really, yeah really cool. That you could walk away, even though it wasn't maybe the finish you wanted, like you walk away with that amazing experience and that, that yeah. growth, you know, so cool. So a a year after Beijing, you and your wife, Sarah, co-founded the Hall Steps Foundation. I would love for you to tell us about your foundation.
1: Yeah. So this actually happened kind of in the wake of Beijing. Uh, Sarah and I became spokespersons for uh, Team World Vision. And their goal for the Chicago Marathon that fall after the Olympics um, was to have about 500 runners come together, fundraise, to bring clean water to a community in Zambia of 90,000 people um, that didn't have access to clean water. So we were just like spreading the word about it, you know, like, just, just trying to tell as many people as we could and, um, just a part of that team. Uh, and so we had the opportunity after the Beijing Olympics to go to Zambia and, and watch them like cut the ribbons of these boreholes that had just been poured, you know, and, um, they had access to clean water for the first time in their life. And, I'll never forget, I was I was at a ribbon cutting ceremony, just like way out in the sticks in some little tiny village, and this guy, this village guy, and they all speak English there because it's like the business language, you know, so they mm-hmm. learn it in school, which was really cool because I didn't think I was going to talk to anyone going over there, <laughs> um, but he was telling me, he's like, hey, because you guys brought clean water to us, like everyone in my community, their life expectancy is going to go up by 10 years. And uh, that was kind of the moment for me where going back to my 13 year old self and hearing that, like, I'd been given a gift to help other people. That was kind of the moment it clicked. It was like, oh, like, this is how you help other people through running. It's like, I was a part of a team of people that did some fundraising, ran a race. And as a result now, 90,000 people in Zambia are going to get to live 10 years longer. Like you're actually adding years to people's lives because you ran a race, you know? Mm. And that was just such a powerful moment for both me and Sarah. Like, you know, I went back home and I'd start training and I'd just be thinking about these kids that I interacted with, ran with over there that are in tattered clothes, but just the biggest smile on their face, you know, like it's a very interesting interaction. Whereas like, I wanted to help them in terms of like health, wellness, school, education, empowerment, all of that. But they also had something that like, I think we're lacking here in the States, which is a real sense of community. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like when things are tough over there, like they have to rely on each other. And that just builds a really, really strong community. And as a result, at least this is my opinion, like they're just super happy people. Like Mm -hmm. I hadn't seen joy like that anywhere else in the world, despite such like amazing poverty, you know? So we were able to help you know, on the bringing clean water to them, but they really like challenged me to like find joy in my life and find joy through community. So Um, You know, we came back home from that trip and Sarah and I knew we wanted to do more. Um, We knew we wanted to continue to support World Vision and and the work they're doing, which is amazing work they're doing all over the world. Um, But we also wanted to support other kind of local organizations and um, some of our own projects that we were excited about doing. So we started the Hall Steps Foundation and it's uh, it's it's basically set up the same as like team and training or something like that, where you can run any race in the U S you just go to our website, the steps sign up, um, and create a fundraising page. And then every single dollar that you fundraise, uh, for your race goes towards our project. So we're a hundred percent volunteer run. Um, so that's, that's a really cool thing kind of about our organization is, you, you know, every single dollar is going towards the projects we're supporting. And, um, we've gotten to support some really cool projects along the way. Like we partnered with one of my friends in Kenya, we helped to build a uh, health clinic in his community that didn't have access to hospitals or health clinics. People have to take like buses for like eight hours at a time. And if you have like his brother actually died of a, a snake bite that shouldn't have taken his life you know but he just didn't have access to the medicine he needed to, to fix the problem um, so we partnered with my friend uh, Wesley career he's actually Boston Marathon champion and uh, we we built this health clinic and now people in that community have access to, to meet their medical needs um, things like that. We love doing like stuff with empowerment as well. So we've partnered with Kiva. Um, they do micro loans to women in developing countries, help them start their own businesses so that they can work themselves out of poverty. Um, so, and then we're, we're doing a lot in Ethiopia um, as well with um, mainly with childcare and trying to um, help them kind of get going to foster care system actually, because uh, they just closed down international adoption, which Really, kind of change things in their country because they had a You know, they still have a ton of orphans in their country, but now they're trying to figure out how they can take care of all those orphaned kids um, within the country. So um, we're kind of partnering with local organizations there to to uh, to help bring those kids into families.
0: That's awesome! So many great things that you guys are doing through your foundation. I love it. At Hope Sports, we know that you want to be the best athlete that you can be. And in order to do that, you train hard and dedicate yourself to performing at your peak. But sometimes it can feel monotonous. Every day has a similar routine and when you win, well, no victory feels as good as a loss feels bad. It doesn't have to be this way. We believe athletes can compete at their full potential and reach their dreams while feeling lasting satisfaction from their accomplishments. We understand what it's like when you've dedicated your life to something, but you feel like you're never living up to people's expectations and you don't feel satisfied with your achievements. Hundreds of athletes have told us that they've discovered how to compete at their best while finding lasting fulfillment in their achievements during our interactive international service trips. Our next trip is coming up June 7th through 10th in Rosarita, Mexico, and we want you to be there. It's so easy to get involved. Just go to hopesports.org, sign up for the June 7th through 10th home build and build hope for a family and win like never before. So sign up today. It could be the key you need to find success in your career. Back to um, the running side of things though. I know in 2011, you set a new PR at the Boston Marathon. You made the 2012 Olympic team, like things were looking good, but then you had to drop out of the marathon at the London games around the 11 mile mark because of a hamstring injury. Like what, I guess, yeah, what was that? I mean, you've, you've dealt with injuries. You've dealt with not feeling good. I mean, what was that like having to do that at the Olympic games?
1: Yeah, it was definitely like one of those surreal moments where you feel like you're in a movie or a dream. You're like, did that just really happen? Like, cause I had never dropped out of any race in my entire life. You know, like I never even stopped and walked in any race in my entire life. So, um, like that was never an option in my mind. Um, but, I was having this sharp pain while I was out running and, um, just decided after having a little conversation with God, that it was better to live to fight another day. And so, um, you know, stepped off the course, I almost started running again just cause it felt so wrong. I was like, this isn't right. You know, um, not, not at all what I was picturing happening. Um, but I stepped off and it was, it was hard, you know, but I'd been through so much discouragement and hard times. Um, before that that really it kind of prepared me for that moment so i was down i was disappointed afterwards for a couple days but um, I like to do something that actually my wife kind of taught me where it's, it's like she allows herself to be really down disappointed for a certain amount of time. So it could be a day, it could be two days, whatever she feels like she needs. And then after that, it's like, okay, now I'm moving forward. And then like, I've like grieved the loss and now I'm moving forward. So I kind of did that, you know, I had a couple days or maybe it was a couple weeks. I don't remember exactly how long it was um, where I was just really down and, and bummed out. But then I started moving forward and the good thing about running is there's always big races to look forward to you, whether it's the Boston marathon and New York city marathon, Chicago, London, you know, there's all these big, great opportunities for runners to get to try and, you know, win a title. Um, so I, I just kind of kept moving forward, but, um, it kind of started this nasty string of injuries. So the hamstring thing started because when I was running the actually training for the 2012 Olympic trials, I developed plantar fasciitis in my foot. And so I had to just run through it because there's like no instant cure for plantar fasciitis. Like usually just lasts a while and then I'll eventually get better. So I was running through it and just like very small alteration of my stride caused a uh, injury on the opposite side of, of my body. So with the hamstring, and then I hurt my hamstring and then literally like, It was almost comical how ridiculous it was because I was always really hardy. Didn't have a lot of injuries before that. But it was like, then I tore my right quad, then I tore my left quad, and I got a sacral stress fracture (laughs) on my right side. And it was just like this ridiculous string of like compensation injuries. So I learned a big lesson there about running through injuries and how detrimental that can be to your body. Um, I did eventually come out the other side of that where I stopped getting hurt, but then I kind of started, uh, struggling with just, I call it extreme fatigue. So, you know, I had been running at that point for 16, 17 years and running like a hundred miles a week. So you're running like 15 miles a day. And, uh, and that's a long time to be running that much and not just easy running. You know, it's all like pretty high quality. Well, not all of it. We have three high quality workouts. A week so just a, demanded a ton of my body and it, it was kind of at that point where my body's like you know there's nothing left like it's time for you to start slowing down and um, start giving back to your body so after about that it was a four year time from uh, my injury at the London Olympics all the way till I was training for the 2016 on. Big trials and still just like having really bad fatigue issues, and I tried like everything I could think to try. I worked with a whole bunch of different coaches. I um, tried mixing up my nutrition, um, tried rest, I tried you know everything I think to try. and Nothing was was working. My body was just clearly like tired and fatigued and ready to for me to get back to it. So that's when I ultimately ended up deciding to retire from running and uh, kind of move on into this next season of life.
0: Was that a hard transition or, I mean, were you just kind of ready at that point?
1: Yeah, I was always nervous about the day I was going to retire, you know, because like running had been my craft, my passion, everything for 20 years, you know. Um, So Mm -hmm. I didn't know how I was going to react when I hung up my shoes. But kind of with how it ended and uh, just having it be kind of a long, slow, gradual four-year process of coming to this realization that, I'd gotten everything out of my body and there's nothing else there um, allowed me to make the decision and actually feel kind of a sense of relief with it, um, which I was Mm. surprised by. I wasn't expecting to feel relief, but it kind of felt like I could finally look back in my career and be thankful for what I got to experience and uh, the performances I did have. And then stop striving to try to get back to those, you know, I could finally just like fully appreciate it. And and then also too, like I during that time and actually while I was writing my book, um, a kind of powerful realization came to me that, um, you know, my journey wasn't all about me you know, and, um, now like I needed to take the things I learned in that season of my life and pull them into my next season of life, which is, you know, writing, speaking, um, coaching and, and try and help other people along on their own journeys that they're on.
0: Since retiring, you've transformed your body gaining what, like 40 pounds of muscle. I'd, I'd love to hear about this.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny. Cause feel like this is a big theme in my life where I don't enjoy doing something and then it kind of becomes like my passion and craft um so before like I would do weight training for running but never upper body and we I just always tried to get through it as fast as I could because it just wasn't specific for running really like I didn't I didn't see the correlation between lifting more weight and running faster um which was a wrong way of seeing it in hindsight but um all that to say like I just didn't enjoy the weight room at all and so when i retired from running you know i retired at like about three and a half years ago i was 510 and 127 pounds which was too light for me i just needed to find something to get back to my body and running is so uh, catabolic in nature just strips your body of everything it doesn't need to run fast so i kind of got into the weightlifting as a way to give back to my body as a way to build it up and make it strong and then also too just because i was curious like anytime i'd be around some big strong person i was always really curious just to like know what that would feel like to be big and strong so i kind of started the journey and uh it, it was really really fun because one of the things I love about sports is seeing results and seeing progress. And I wasn't Mm -hmm. seeing that in running for four years. And then finally uh, with the lifting, like I was so bad at it. I had nowhere to go, but up. So I always encourage people like (laughs) if you want to, like find a sport that's fun like try something you're really bad at and then it's going to be so much fun cuz you're just going to grow and get better and better and better so that's kind of the the journey I've been on and it's just fun to you know the other day I was squatting I hit 390 for the first time and um it's just fun to see growth and um and to see it's fun to get under a weight that you could you just failed at it like a hundred times in a row and then finally be able to get it up is just such an amazing like sensation. It kind of feels that, that need that I need to like see personal growth and to see physical growth in my body. Mm
0: -hmm. I love your, I love your attitude. I love how you always try stuff that you really don't want to do. (laughs) (laughs) It's so cool. So cool. There, There's so many things that I just love and admire about you and your wife, but there's one especially that's near and dear to my heart um, because I'm also an adoptive mom. I have girls from China and Ethiopia, and I know you and Sarah adopted four girls from Ethiopia. And I want to know all the things. What made y'all want to adopt? Why Ethiopia? What was that process like? And how in the world did you survive going from childless to parents of four girls overnight?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I love telling this story because again, like I just didn't see adoption at all growing up. So it wasn't so much that like I was opposed to it. It just wasn't on my grid. So Mm -hmm. I didn't have any desire to adopt, uh, until I met Sarah. Um, but then Sarah's story is very much the opposite of that, where there was adoptive kids in her extended family. And she'd been around it, seen it and, um, always wanted to adopt ever since she was a little girl. So, um, she actually mentioned it on our first date and I was like, Oh, whoa, like I've never even like thought about that, you know? So that's kind of like when the ball started turning in my mind and started considering it. And then, uh, you know, fast forward years and years later after we're married and training professionally. Uh, one of the things I loved about running was we got to train all over the world and go to beautiful locations to train and and train with just really inspiring, incredible people from every different culture. Um, and so we would go to Kenya and train. We ended up going to Ethiopia to train. And there was just something about Ethiopia that just kind of grabbed us and gripped us where we just fell in love with the people and the culture and the country and the food and the music, just kind of everything about it. The running was fabulous. Um, uh, so it just kind of like really grabbed us. But one of the things that also grabbed us was being on the streets in Addis and driving around and just seeing all these kids out on the streets um, orphaned and in tattered clothes and shining shoes. And kids would come up to me and ask to shine my shoes for like 10 cents. And uh, they'd be so stoked if I gave them like equivalent of a dollar, you know? Um, so just, just, that that really pulled on our heart and we're like with our foundation you know we're all about just taking our step you know it's like we can't force other people to take their step but if everyone chooses to take their own personal step um we can see big change and big results so um that's our step was was moving into the adoption phase of our life when we felt ready to, to take on parenthood and uh And so being in Ethiopia and seeing the orphans and having the opportunity to adopt from there, we decided we'd uh, try and adopt uh, an infant. Just one infant was our original plan. And so we were number like 76 on a wait list. And uh, it was going to be a couple of years before we'd have our our infant. And then what happened is we were overtraining in Ethiopia and we went and visited uh, the orphanages and we noticed that there was all these older children in the orphanages that were waiting for families. And so I was like, this doesn't make sense. I'm like number 76 on the wait list and there's all these kids that are waiting for families. And after it was, it was the face to face interaction that really like broke my heart and like made me, decide to adopt older children. Cause after meeting the kids, playing with the kids, hanging out with the kids, I was like, man, I'd take any one of these kids home in a second, you know? So we went home, we changed up all of our paperwork, had to change agencies even, and, uh, and became aware of our uh, daughters through a, like a friend and Facebook page is kind of like a roundabout way, but they're really looking for a family for these four biological sisters um, they'd been looking for a family for three years, weren't able to find a family. And they were talking about maybe sending two of them with one family in like Australia and two with another family and um, Italy or something like that. And so, you know, coming from a big family, I'm in the middle of five kids. I was like, you don't separate siblings. Like, you know, they they've already been through so much and they don't need to lose each other. So, um, you know, we just felt kind of loving our heart for our girls. And, um, I always like to tell people like there was a very real fear, um, that was involved with adopting and mainly a fear of my own inadequacy, you know, like, like for example, our social worker, she wouldn't even approve us to adopt the, f- our, the four girls because um, she like didn't believe we could do it. So you talk about stuff wow. that kinda, like shake your own confidence, you know. Um, but instead of following that fear, I just followed like the love that God had put in my heart for my girls. And um, I knew if I had that love in my heart, that's that's what I needed. And um, I chose to follow the path of love. And when I'm at my best, I'm making decisions based on love, not based on fear. And so that's what we did It was a leap of faith, you know, but it's just been such an incredible road and, um, the girls have blessed us so much. And, uh, you know, actually going from zero to four was, I think in a lot of ways easier than like, uh, the normal route that you could take. Cause like, How it, so? <laughs> so like, for example, all we knew previous to this was just like Sarah and I and then empty house, you know, and then our normal just changed just once. It changed from zero zero kids to four kids, it didn't change like four separate times where it's like you're getting used to one kid and then you're getting used to two and then three and then four. It's like every time you kind of shift your normal, there's always like a stirring and shaking that's like kind of like initially hard, you know, but we just kind of had like one, one and done you know <laughs> so in a lot of ways, I feel like I kind of cheated the system and also like <laughs> our our kids when we adopted them were five, eight, uh twelve. Yeah, 12 and 15. So I've never changed a diaper. I've gotten woken up in the middle of the night, maybe like (laughs) twice in my life. So in a lot of ways, like I have it pretty easy. Like our kids were already like old enough to like, you know, babysit each other at home and stuff. So (laughs) we could go out for training and stuff and they'd be totally fine.
0: Now you also have a new book out this month as if you're not busy enough with those four girls and it's called run the mile you're in finding God in every step. Please tell us about it.
1: Yeah. I'm really excited to share this story. You know, like, um, Tom Dean at Zondervan, he's a runner and he had approached me about writing a book, you know, years and years ago, but I was still like very much in the middle of telling them my story. And then once I retired, he reached back out again. And um, the the timing just felt right. You know, I felt a sense of closure with that chapter of my life. And um, I felt ready to share the story with people. And I just found it to be a really therapeutic process for me to go through, to sit down and write every morning and kind of like make sense of my entire career and try and pull out all the biggest lessons from my career and uh and share those with other people just in in the hope of you know helping people on their journey like i kind of wrote it from the perspective of if i was my 13 year old self getting into sports like what things would i want to become aware of and like i remember just being super curious like what does it take to get to the olympics you know and so like Mm -hmm. a lot of this is like my story of like learning what it does take to, you know, get to the Olympics or just for you to develop your own potential and your hobby or craft as a dad at work, like just for you to become the best version of yourself. And these were just like kind of lessons that I've, I've been learning on my journey and um, continue to learn as I uh, you know continue on my own journey.
0: Oh, I love it. It sounds so good. Where, where can we grab a copy of it?
1: Yeah, so you can get it on uh, Amazon and then also Barnes & Noble and um, wherever else fine books are sold, I believe.
0: All right. Run the mile you're in, finding God in every step. Well, Ryan, where else can we follow you online to just continue to be encouraged by you, to learn more about the Hall Steps Foundation, all of the things?
1: Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter and Instagram. My handle is Ryan Hall 3 on both of those. And then uh, our foundation is the stepsfoundation.org. And then my wife and I, we also have a website, com. So those are all good places to track us down.
0: Awesome. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, for just sharing your absolutely incredible story, encouraging us, and uh, just inspiring us.
1: My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Laura.
0: Wow. There is just so much powerful stuff in there. I know I've said that before, but these athletes are just sharing truth bomb after truth bomb. What I love most are the two strategies that Ryan shared that got him through difficult moments in his life. The first is solidifying his identity that regardless of the results, he still has value and worth in the world. And second is turning his gaze outward. Remember when he ran a marathon and encouraged other people along the way? Not only is that an incredible blessing for those other people, but in turn, it shifted Ryan's own attitude and improved his morale and his results. Sometimes we can get stuck in a rut and just by lifting up our eyes and looking to those around us that need help, it frees us. And all the work with the Hall Steps Foundation is so compelling. It has me wanting to strap on a pair of running shoes and raise money at a 5K. Maybe that'll be a great warm-up before I go dive in the pool. You should definitely check it out too and get involved. How awesome would it be to have a group of Hope Sports listeners mobilized to do amazing work in the world just by running? Drop a comment on our Instagram or tag us at your next 5K. We want to shout it from the rooftops. And if you want support in ways that you can grow as a competitor to overcome obstacles or to rock that 5K, head on over to laurawilkinson.com performance to grab my free guide, Five Things That You Can Do Today to Become a More Confident Competitor. Again, that's laurawilkinson.com performance. Thanks to Ryan for joining us today and I hope you tune in next week for our chat with Olympic cyclist and Hope Sports founder Guy East as he shares about his journey through professional cycling, what caused him to hang up his bike for a few years, and what eventually led to the conception of Hope Sports. Be sure to hit that subscribe button because you do not want to miss that episode. On behalf of Hope Sports, I'm Laura Wilkinson. Thanks again for tuning in and have a great week. This podcast is produced by Evo Terra and Simpler Media. For more information on Hope Sports and to access the complete archives, please visit hopesports.org.